I uh, hope you guys are ready for a lesson today. So we had a request last week for me to spend some time talking about the premillennial rapture. Uh, that term rapture, we have spoken on this topic a number of times. I think I've, uh, I think I've actually preached on it as a topic maybe two or three times over the years. We have studied it in Bible study. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the rapture. Now, before I go any further, let me say this. Virtually everyone I know who is a Christian or claims to be a Christian believes Jesus is coming back. However, when you hear the term rapture, 99.99999% uh, of the time that term is actually being used as part of the entirety of the premillennial um, doctrine. And there are some other variations I'll mention here today, but when you find that term, most likely it is, it is due to the premillennial doctrine. Now, majority of people have heard of the rapture. Almost everyone you talk to has heard about the rapture, but very few people know the rest of the premillennial doctrine. This is from my class in school on premillennialism. This is my final assignment. And the, really the only way that anybody could dig into this doctrine and know it fully is to study something like this. So page one today. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work. So my goal today is to take all of that information and to condense that down into a lesson that we could actually get through in a very reasonable time. It may go just a couple minutes longer. I don't think I actually will. So what do we talk about and what's included in the idea of the rapture? What do the majority of the people think? We're going to start off talking a little bit about the definitions and the history. The word rapture actually does not appear <clears throat> anywhere within our biblical text. Uh, when you go back and begin to look at the word rapture and where it comes from, it actually is based on a Latin word, rapir, meaning rapid, and another Latin word, repumur, meaning to be caught up or a rapidly catching up. Now, the majority of people I know who are Christians believe that Jesus is going to come back and there is going to be a resurrection. And many attribute that idea of the rapture to that. However, when you begin to talk about the word rapture, that is not the common thought of the majority of people today in simply this one time catching up. There is a lot of additional beliefs that are tied in with this teaching of the rapture. Uh, and so you may be asking, well, then what exactly is the most common teaching of the rapture? Well, if you go back and begin to look, what you will find is, is often, most often, you find this term being used. It's being tied in with dispensational premillennialism. Uh, and usually it is with what most would call the pre-tribulation rapture, which is a teaching that Christ is going to return. And when He returns, He is going to take His his faithful, true believers with Him into the clouds, and yet He's going to leave everyone else here on earth. You may have even actually seen the movies that have made this even more popular called the Left Behind series. Uh, the gentleman's name is uh, Tim LaHaye uh, that actually wrote those. He, he wrote uh, a number of fictional books. Uh, the Left Behind series was one of those, and it was turned into a movie, actually a series of movies. And so many people have heard about these this idea of the rapture, they've watched these movies, the Left Behind series. Many who teach about the rapture actually teach this is a secret return, a secret return for the church. It's going to happen imminently like a thief in the night. We'll talk about where they get that idea from here because there's actually a passage that says that. Uh, and they believe, again, that people are going to suddenly vanish. Uh, how many of you guys have seen the bumper stickers? If this car is unmanned, I've been taken in the rapture, right? 
So they, they believe that people are just going to, they're going to be gone. Everybody else will be here. The ones who are not true believers, they're going to wonder where people went. Uh, and many teach that the rapture is actually going to mark the beginning of a seven-year great tribulation. And that tribulation is all centered around the nation of Israel, and it's going to feature a number of devastating judgments. They then teach that after the seven-year tribulation period, Christ is going to return again. So that's the second time Christ came, right? He took the faithful with Him. He returns a second time. He then, after the tribulation, He will set up this millennial or this thousand-year kingdom. Some people that teach this teach there's two returns of Christ. Some teach that there's actually three returns of Christ. Uh, and then as they teach the multiple returns of Christ, most that teach that actually come back and say all of this is included in what they call the second coming. Okay? Now, so far we've already covered quite a bit. You're, you're saying, how do we understand all this? Well, as you begin to talk with people from different religious groups, here's what you're going to find. The religious world is extremely divided on this teaching. Many do not believe in millennialism or the thousand-year reign. And of those who do, there are many different teachings. There is pre-tribulation or the pre-trib uh, believers. They believe that Jesus will come back and rapture people prior to the seven-year tribulation. Some believe Jesus will come in the middle of the tribulation. That they're called mid-trib and He will take people halfway through the persecution. Some believe Jesus will come directly after the tribulation and take people then. So those are the three primary groups that teach uh, the Millennial Kingdom, Jesus coming and getting people. Now, I decided I would break this down even further. I've never quite approached it this way. So you're going to get some information you guys have never heard before. Who does not believe in this idea of a Millennial Kingdom and the rapture and so forth? Let me give you. Let me just mention some of the groups, and I'm not endorsing their teachings. I'm just giving you facts. Okay, at this point, Catholics do not and have not ever taught a rapture with a millennial kingdom. Uh, the Catholic Church, which many some date as early as the 300s, some date really in the in the 600s. I would I would date them as an official denomination in the 600s, with the very first pope being listed. But even prior to that, uh, no Catholic has ever endorsed or taught this. Neither has the Greek Orthodox Church which has been in existence, again, as long as the Catholic Church. You have to recall there was a split back in 295. Uh, so neither the Catholic Church has ever taught it, and neither has the Greek Orthodox Church. So from the very, really beginning, the very first apostate denominational groups. Anglicans have never taught this. They don't believe it. They've never taught it. Episcopalians have never believed it, have never taught it. Lutherans have never believed it, have never taught it. The United Methodists have never believed it, they have never taught it. The United Churches of Christ have never believed it, have never taught it. Free Will Baptists have never believed it, have never taught it. Most Reformed Protestant Christians do not believe it, do not teach it. And there are many others that do reject it also. Uh, now, who does believe it? Those that do believe it today or believe in a rapture of some sort, and I'm going to define, define the major groups, would be most Baptist denominations. Not all of them. You have some Baptists that flat out reject it. But most Baptist denominations... Uh, Presbyterians, for the most part, do believe it. Seven-day Adventists believe in a rapture. Now, let me say this. Those that do believe in this, they have varying beliefs okay, of the groups, but they do believe in a rapture and a millennial kingdom of some sort. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in it. They, matter of fact, they teach Jesus came back in 1914. It's already happened. 
Uh, most evangelical groups and community churches, which are in fact, as I told you before, Baptist churches with a cooler website and bigger sign, they also teach it. And most Pentecostal groups. Now what you're going to learn is, is all of the people that teach the premillennial doctrine or the millennial doctrine of some sort with the rapture, they are all Calvinistic. Every one of them. Now let me give you a little more information, and this is a fact, and I would urge every one of you to go back and to review this, but the fact I'm going to give you can be found anywhere within a number, a multitude of history books, or it can be found as simple as going to Google to some historical or educational sites. Prior to 1830, no church anywhere within, within the United States and even within, the, uh, within Europe ever taught a millennial doctrine, including a rapture, in either their creeds, their catechisms, or their statements of faith. That's not to say that you didn't have a few individuals here or there that had some unusual ideas, but you found no organized group claiming to be a Christian church who taught anything regarding a millennial kingdom, a rapture, uh, or anything what we find today in what we call premillennialism. It did not exist prior to 18. They all taught that there would be one return of Christ, and that at the judgment there would be a general resurrection of the dead. That was taught amongst every religious body who claimed to be Christians prior to 1830. The premillennial rapture doctrine is actually one of the newest doctrines in the history of what I call Christendom. The only doctrines more recent than the, this invention would be the Sinner's Prayer for Faith Only Salvation, that was made popular. Actually, it was, it was created by Billy Sunday in 1930. It was made popular by Billy Graham in 1935. The only other doctrine newer than that possibly would be hyperpreterism or what some would call the 8070 doctrine, which was made popular by Max King. So, of the most modern doctrines today, you have the Faith Only Salvation, you have hyperpreterism, and then you have what we call premillennialism with the millennial reign and the rapture. You may say, well, then how did this even get started? <clears throat> and again, you can find this anywhere within history books or even on the internet. Matter of fact, if you go to Wikipedia and look up the gentleman's name I'm going to give you right now, it will tell you the information that I am actually, you can find in all the history books. But even Wikipedia has this. John Nelson Darby invented the pre-tribulation rapture doctrine somewhere right around 1830. Some listed actually as 1828. But John Nelson Darby is the one who invented the pre-tribulation rapture doctrine. He actually began teaching this really uh, up along the Plymouth Brethren. And just to let you know without spending a lot of time on it, John Darby began to teach this up with the uh, Plymouth Brethren. He then traveled to Europe. He traveled to Australia. He traveled to New Zealand. He traveled all over teaching this doctrine that he invented. And when he came back to the Plymouth Brethren, you had some who were saying, no, wait a minute, I don't, I don't agree with this. And guess what he did? He took charge and he excommunicated, I don't even, that's the only word I know to use, he excommunicated anyone who disagreed with him and told them they, they were not allowed to come to the church, uh, that they were no longer welcome in any regard. So if you said, hey, I don't believe this doctrine that you're teaching now, he, in essence, excommunicated every one of them, right? So prior to 1828, the number varies depending on your book and or the source, but it, Depending, prior to 1828, 1830, nobody had ever taught this, nobody had ever heard of it until John Nelson Darby began to. It didn't even begin to gain any notoriety until after the Civil War. Darby was the one that actually created or invented the pre-tribulation rapture doctrine. However, 
It hadn't really gained notice yet until a gentleman by the name of James H. Brooks, who was a Presbyterian, he lived from 1830 to 1897. He was actually trained at Princeton Seminary. Uh, he, he, was, uh, a, uh, he was a Presbyterian. He actually heard Darby. He heard this new doctrine and he invited Darby to come to his congregation and to preach. He then became infatuated with the doctrine. And Brooks is actually considered by the majority, if you look him up in history books or look his name up, he is pretty much called the American father of the pre-tribulation rapture in America. The reason is, is because Darby actually was born in London and moved here. Uh, but this gentleman who took Darby's stuff and ran with it, he actually is pretty much called the father of pre-tribulation rapture. And he actually was the teacher of C.I. Schofield. Now that's important because there are primarily two standards in the world on premillennial doctrine, and they are written by Darby or Schofield. Matter of fact, if you go down into my office, you'll find a Schofield Bible. Right? And so what that is, is, is it's a Bible and all the notes are the notes of Schofield teaching the premillennial doctrine. So here's the real question. What it, it's not what did Darby teach and it's not what did Schofield teach. The real question is, is regarding, and guys, it's a huge doctrine. What does the Bible actually teach? Well, here's what you have to remember before we get into this. The whole point of the rapture doctrine is to prepare the way for a physical battle between Jesus and Satan and then prepare the world for Jesus to come and to set up a kingdom for a thousand-year reign on this earth. That is the whole point of the rapture. And that's where the premillennial doctrine then comes in, uh, this battle taking place, the kingdom, and so forth. So I'm, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to hit some major points today. Uh, just so you guys know, on the back seat by the door when you leave, there is another document I printed out. It is not what you're hearing here. It is an entirely different document, and it is going to have points that I can't cover, but it will have all the points and all the verses so you can go back and double-check and verify every single thing I am telling you. Look them up, and you're going to find that what I'm telling you is 100% correct. Okay? So that is on the back seat for anybody that wants to study this further, uh, and you're welcome to any of the materials that I have. First, let's point this out. Christ is not going to reign or be priest on earth. Now, I can't cover all of the verses that, that deal with this. However, I will cover some major ones. Listen to Hebrews uh, chapter 8, verse 4. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. And actually, when you read that, and, uh, go ahead and put in the law of Moses. Okay, and I'm going to cover that. Christ's reign and or priesthood, both of those, are a heavenly reign and a heavenly priesthood. Christ literally could not reign on earth even if He wanted to, because as you go back and you study the Scriptures, and I got the passages here for you to go back and look up, but in Jeremiah 22, 28 and Matthew 1, 12, you learn that Jesus could not physically reign on this earth. Here's the reason why. If you go back and study, you'll find that Je uh, King Jehoiakim, he's the father of Keniah, he cut up and burnt the Word of God that was presented by Jeremiah the prophet. And as a punishment, King Jehoiakim was told that no descendant of Keniah, his son, was eligible to ever sit on the earthly throne of David and reign. And then we learn over in Matthew 1.12 that Christ is actually a descendant of Keniah. So even if Christ did want to reign on earth, he's not eligible because he is a descendant of Keniah. 
And, and King Jehoiakim was told, no descendant of Kaniah will ever reign on an earthly throne in Jerusalem. Now, why would Christ need to reign on an earthly throne in Jerusalem when Christ is currently reigning over a spiritual kingdom which is governed by spiritual laws? And that goes back to uh, the verse that Jerry actually read, John 18, 36, where Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom was never going to be a physical kingdom, and he pointed that out. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. Let me, let me ask you guys a question. Before, let me pause here in my notes. If the world wants to take all of its missiles, they want to go to battle against the Christians, what city do they point their missiles at? Where, where's the kingdom? Where's this physical kingdom of Christians? Where's it set up? Who are they going to attack? If you're going to attack the Catholic Church, you point them at Rome, right? The church is not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. We are spread all across the entirety of the world. It was never designed to be a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom governed by spiritual laws with a spiritual headship. Okay, And that's why Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. Christ is currently reigning over this spiritual kingdom. Again, it's governed by spiritual laws. Christ setting up an earthly kingdom is a belief for people who think earthly, people who think worldly. I don't have time to go back and spend time on this, but do you guys remember the Jews had this problem? Why were they rejecting Jesus as the Messiah? They were looking for a military ruler to who, who would come in and he would throw the Romans out of Jerusalem and would take back their land and bring them to a position of prominence. They wanted a military ruler who would come and give them their land, and that's what they were worried about. They were worried about their land. They were worried about taking back their position of prominence. And Jesus made it very clear from the very beginning, my world is not a physical kingdom. If it was, then would my followers fight. But my kingdom is not from hence, he said. It's not, you guys have got this all wrong. It is not a physical kingdom. And yet, that is the position of premillennialism. They teach God started the church as an afterthought because... Christ was rejected. Literally what they teach is, is Jesus had no way of knowing they were going to reject Him. And so after they rejected Him, the church was established in preparation for the kingdom. That's what they teach. Guys, that is not even close. The church has always been part of God's plan from the very beginning to redeem man. God knew that man was going to sin. God knew that justice would not allow for man's salvation in this sinful state. And so God created a method, a plan for man to be saved. And this plan, as I'm going to show you, started from the very beginning. I don't know how many of you guys have heard of the scarlet thread of redemption, but it starts all the way back in Genesis. Okay, Listen to Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Guys, this was planned from the very beginning. I didn't put this in your notes, but write down Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15 is the very first reference to our Lord and Savior who would be coming. Guys, the plan was all the way back in Genesis. That's why all throughout our Old Testament we're reading, there's a Messiah coming, there's a Messiah coming, there's a Messiah coming. And with the coming of the Messiah was going to be the establishment of the church, the kingdom. And that was needed for the redemption of man. All right, we're told there's not going to be remission of sins without the blood of Jesus. Listen to Hebrews 9.22. And almost all things are by the law, this is by the law of Moses, purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. But here was the problem. The Jews were coming year after year after year and they were sacrificing bulls and goats. Guys, bulls and goats cannot deal with the problem of sin for man. 
What they needed was a sinless Savior. And as I told you, that already was prophesied back in Genesis nonstop throughout the Old Testament. There's a Messiah coming. There's a Redeemer coming. There's going to be a sinless Savior who will shed His blood for you so that your sins can be forgiven. And in Hebrews 10.4, we learn that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. They needed a sinless Savior. And Jesus paid the penalty. As a matter of fact, on the cross, Jesus said, It is finished, John 19.30. He had no plans to come back for a thousand-year reign. He never did. He's coming back, and we're going to cover the verses here in a minute. And There will be a judgment. <clears throat> but that, that coming back, that's not what the rapture doctrine is. Okay, And like I told you, prior to 1830, there was no church anywhere ever that taught this premillennial doctrine. It was God's eternal purpose to offer redemption to man who truly does not deserve it. Listen to Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. <clears throat> and tell me this wasn't planned from the very beginning. To the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, notice this, according to the eternal purpose, the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Premillennialism teaches that the church was an afterthought. Paul writes by inspiration that this wisdom could be known by the church, and he says, to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're going to cover this here in a minute. Jesus knew from the very beginning that He was going to die on the cross, and He is going to usher in the church, which is also the kingdom. And I'm going to prove that to you. Redemption is found only in the church, and the church was purchased with the blood of Christ. Acts 20, verse 28. As a matter of fact, we learn in Ephesians 5, 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Notice this, and He is the Savior of the body. So far we've learned that the church is also called the body. You're also going to learn here in just a second that the church is also called the kingdom. Remember, we're part of a spiritual kingdom governed by spiritual laws under a spiritual headship. And this kingdom that we're part of, and I'm going to show you that it is in existence already, has nothing to do with the world around us. The world can do whatever they want. They can make all the laws that they want, and it has nothing to do with us as Christians. We are in a spiritual kingdom governed by a spiritual head under spiritual laws. Let's go on over to Matthew 16. We're going to look at verses 18 through 19. Now, Jesus here is speaking to Peter. This is before the church comes into effect. right? This is before, obviously, Jesus has died on the cross. And notice what he tells Peter. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. Let me point something out here. There's one church. Jesus was going to die for one church. He's going to build one church. There was never the idea of multiple churches. Every Christian is to have an understanding of the Scripture the same way. Man, we're taught, we're, we talk about unity in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Uh, and the early Christians you found were in unity one with another. And when they were not... You can go look at the epistles. You have apostles and our inspired writers calling them out and correcting them, right? So the intent from the very beginning was one church. And Jesus said, And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, that word is not hell, it's Hades, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto you, he's talking to Peter, I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Let me point something out. Do you guys recall who preached the very first gospel sermon ever? It's Peter. 
And that's who he's talking to right here. He says, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever has already been bound in heaven, that's been, it's been bound. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Basically what he's saying is, is we've already dictated what can be loosed and what can be bound, and you're going you're gonna to preach this forth, Peter. Okay? He's going to build his church, but he tells Peter, I'm going to give you, you, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to give you the keys to the church. The church and the kingdom are synonymous. How did Peter have the keys? Because Peter was the one that preached the very first gospel ever there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. He opened the doors to the church. How do you get into the church? How do you get into the kingdom? You obey the gospel. When they heard Peter preaching the gospel, we find that they were at it. He preached the gospel in Acts 2.37. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? He tells them to repent and be baptized. And then we learn in Acts 2.47, they were added to the church. The kingdom and the church are the same as the body. Jesus uses the terms synonymously. We see Peter preaching in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. We see him there in Acts chapter 8. We see him in Acts chapter 11. And then we have others going around also preaching. I want to point something out that you find this same authority being repeated to all the apostles over in Matthew 18, 18. And again, the, the terms church, body, and kingdom are all used interchangeably. The kingdom came on the day of Pentecost. I know that again. This isn't in your notes. I know that again because in Acts 2.47, they were added by the Lord to the church. So when he says, I'm going to build my church, and I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, and then we see Peter preaches the gospel, and they are added to the church, the kingdom's in effect, the church was in effect, the body was in effect. Okay? Those that are in the church are currently in the kingdom. That's not what premillennialists teach. That is what the Bible teaches, and I'm going to give you the verses. Notice the kingdom is past tense after Acts chapter 2. All the way up to Acts chapter 2, they're saying the church is coming, right? There's a Messiah coming, Messiah, church. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to get my kingdom. After Acts chapter 2, every reference to the kingdom is past tense. Everyone. The church is coming. The church is coming. The church is coming. Acts 2, Peter preaches there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and every time after that, it's past tense. Listen to Colossians 1.13. Paul says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. What's the kingdom of His dear Son? That was the church. That's the body. It was established there in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached the gospel. Listen to what the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 12, 28. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Why can't it be moved? Remember Jesus in John 18, 36 said, My kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. You can't move the kingdom. You can't hurt the kingdom because the kingdom is a spiritual entity. It was never designed to be a physical kingdom. Right? Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. Where is the kingdom where we serve God acceptably? It's not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. That's where we serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. He's talking about the church. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, That ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you into His kingdom and glory. Guys, this is a spiritual kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom coming in the future. It is currently here. Okay, And I haven't given you the best verses yet. Prior to Pentecost and immediately following Jesus' death, the apostles are saying the kingdom's near, right? It's nigh. It's at hand. It's almost here. Then every time after that, it's past tense. The kingdom's here. The kingdom's here. 
Uh, I didn't write it down, Revelation 1.1. John says he's literally in the kingdom. Okay, every time it's past tense. If the kingdom is not here right now, starting in the first century, Jesus is a bold-faced, bold flat-out liar. I'm going to say that to your face right now. Jesus, Jesus was either wrong or the kingdom started in the first century. Listen to Matthew 16, 28. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here. That's when Jesus was alive. There be some standing here which shall not taste of death. They're not going to die, Jesus says, till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Those people were all there and saw the church be established just shortly after on the day of Pentecost when Peter got up and preached the gospel. Peter had the keys to the kingdom, which was the church. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. The church is the kingdom. It is the body. It's always shown in past tense. And Jesus said, the people standing here right now, they're going to see it come. And they did. So either we have some very old Jews still alive today, or the kingdom came when Jesus said it would there in the first century. Guys, that's the death nail in the coffin right there. I, I could stop right now and not go any further, and I've already completely refuted this doctrine of premillennialism, which was started by John Darby in 1830 <clears throat> or 1828, depending on which source you want to use. The work of Jesus is complete. Guys, there isn't any reason for Jesus to come back and to rule here on earth. Our high priest who is our priest, our prophet, our king, is already ruling in heaven. We don't need an earthly priest or a king, and we don't need a physical kingdom for him to reign. <clears throat> Listen to Hebrews 4.14. Seeing then that we have, this is currently, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Premillennialism teaches he's going to come back and he's going to be king. He's going to be our high priest. Guys, he's our high priest now. He's currently our king. He's currently reigning over his own spiritual kingdom, which is the church, which is the body. He is currently priest and king. Jesus made it clear that his time on earth was finished. We mentioned this over in John 19.30 on the cross. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said it is finished and he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost or the spirit. He didn't have any plans to come back for this thousand-year reign. And nobody ever taught such until John Darby there in 1830. Jesus lived as a Jew. Jesus died as a Jew. And when Christ died, we know that the old law was nailed to the cross. It was no longer in effect. Listen to Colossians 2.14. I'm pointing this out for a reason. Blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. What happened? When Jesus died on the cross, the old law, the law of Moses, that was nailed to the cross. They were worshiping and they were offering the sacrifice of bulls and goats for sins, but Jesus, Jesus ushered in the New Testament doctrine, the New Testament teaching, where He would die on the cross and He would shed His sinless blood for our sins and the spiritual people of God would no longer be Jews. They would be Christians. And so the law of Moses was replaced by the law of Christ. Okay? There was no need for the Jewish system to be in place anymore because the Old Testament came to an end. The New Testament law is what, it, what, was, what was replaced by it. Now, Christ even if he was here, as we've already mentioned, he couldn't even be a high priest in a physical sense 
Most people have never studied this, but guys, Jesus was not of the tribe of Levi. There is no earthly priest ever under the Old Testament system that did not come from the tribe of Levi. You could not be a priest unless you were of the tribe of Levi. That's Deuteronomy 18.1, Exodus 29, and a whole bunch of other passages. The sons of Aaron, the tribe of Levi, were all the priests, and that's where the high priest came from. Now, there were differing groups amongst the Levites. Not all Levites were priests, but you couldn't be a priest unless you were a Levite. Furthermore, the Old Testament system was replaced by the New Testament system, so it wasn't even in place anyways. But guys, Christ was from the tribe of Judah. So even if he wanted to be a high priest here on earth under the old system, he couldn't be. He didn't meet the requirements. <clears throat> Plus, he didn't need to. He's our spiritual high priest who is spirit, spiritually reigning on his throne currently right now. This has nothing to do with a worldly system. right? When he died, the spiritual system, the spiritual kingdom governed by spiritual laws, uh, being, being overseen by the spiritual high priest and king was in place. He's currently high priest and king for the New Testament Christian. He is sitting currently on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in high. Hebrews 8.1, Hebrews 8.4, Zechariah 6.12, Hebrews 7.12-15 and other passages. He is currently our high, high priest who is currently ruling as king over an existing spiritual kingdom. Again, John 18.36, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Right? And Pilate said, so then you are a king. Yeah, he is, and we get it today for most of us, but many have never been taught this. Guys, let me point something out. Being raised as a Catholic, I never had ever heard of a rapture doctrine in my life until I started attending a community church about the age of 25, and I went there for about eight years. That community church was a Baptist church in essence, and I had never heard of it. And my kids will tell you, I actually went and got the movies, the Left Behind series. I did, right? What's a good community church goer going to do? I didn't read the Bible much, but I, I watched the Left Behind series, and they were scared to death. Guys, I'd never heard of any of that until I was 25 years old. And there are a lot of people who don't know anything about this doctrine. You, I'm not going to pull the books back out. The majority of people don't know anything about this doctrine other than a couple of words. They usually have heard there's a rapture. They have usually heard there's some type of a great tribulation. There's a battle between Satan and Jesus, and that there's a kingdom that comes in. But no, for the most part, nobody's ever studied this. And I didn't. I didn't. Uh, and, and when I finally began to study it, I was a little upset that people had deceived me. I was. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Uh, but then I sat down and I began to study it because I wanted to understand all of this. I wanted to understand that Jesus currently is, he is our high priest. Jesus is currently, I didn't even have an understanding of what the church was at the time, guys. I didn't know that the kingdom was currently in place. Even though I read the passages, and even though I saw John in Revelation 1 there saying he was currently in the kingdom. But I read the passages and I never really got it. Guys, premillennialists go on and they teach that, the rap, that after the rapture, Jesus is going to set up this earthly kingdom. And he's going to go back, this is a... <clears throat> This is one of the largest portions of the premillennial teaching. They keep saying, we're going to get our land back. They foc they're focused on land. The premillennialist teaches that Jesus is going to come back after the rapture, and he's going to finally give the Jews back their land. <clears throat> Sorry, guys, i got a dry throat. For anybody who has gone back and studied premillennialism, this is a key fundamental teaching of their doctrine. They believe God is finally going to give the Jews their land, 
And for the most part, this isn't in your notes and I'm shooting from the hip right here in memory. The primary people who follow and really know their, their uh, premillennial doctrine will say this whole process started back in 1948 when Israel became a recognized nation again. And that started to lay all of the signs in place. And guys, Jesus is going to come back. Now that Israel's being being recognized again as of 1948, this is getting ready to usher in. Uh, and I'm shooting from the hip. This isn't in my notes, but I know 100% that's what they teach. And you can listen to a lot of these guys on TV and they will point back to it. Here's the problem. They keep saying, we're going to finally get our land. We're going to finally get our land. Let me give you two passages, guys. I could probably stop the sermon after this, but I won't. There was a land promise. There was, there was a land promise. Listen to what was promised to Abram. Genesis 17, 8. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And the premillennial says, finally, when Jesus comes back, we are going to get, we are going to get our land. This promise is going to be fulfilled. Guys, the promise has already been fulfilled. Listen to Joshua 21, 43. First time I was studying this and I read this passage, I went, oh, I didn't know that. Joshua 21, 43. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which He sware to give unto their fathers. We just saw where He told me He was going to give it to them, right? Back here in Genesis 17, 8. Joshua says He gave them all their land. Notice this. And they possessed it and they dwelt therein. That premillennial teaching of we're going to finally get our land, the land promise is going to finally be fulfilled. Guys, it was, it was promised, but it was fulfilled all the way back in Joshua 21, 43. He gave them all the land. He swore to give it to them. They possessed it, and they dwelt there. They got their land. So that part of the premillennial doctrine is completely false. We've already shot that out of the water too. Okay. Now ask yourself this. Why would anybody be all focused and worried about an earthly kingdom? Again, Jesus said His, his kingdom was not of this world. <clears throat> Christians' promises are not based on worldly, earthly things. Let me just mention, thank you very much. I bet it's warm too, isn't it? Oh, it's cold. Why, why would people be worried about an earthly kingdom? Let me ask you a question. When, you're on, when you guys are on your deathbed, do you think you guys are going to be thinking to yourself, I wonder if we're going to finally get that, I wonder if we're going to finally get that land promise fulfilled. You're not. I've never met anybody who's, who's on their deathbed worried about those things. You know what a Christian is worried about? You know what the blessings of the Christians are? Heavenly promises and mansions, joy, not having pain when we're up in heaven, being in the presence of God, having incorruptible bodies. And nobody is denying that Jesus is coming back. And nobody is denying that we aren't going to have this change in bodies from the earthly bodies to the spiritual bodies and that we're going to go. But guys, that's not what the rapture teaching is. That is. That's not what the rapture teaching is. I'm not denying that Jesus is coming back. I'm not denying we aren't going with Him. We're going to look at the passages here. What I'm telling you is, is when you hear the term rapture, most people are not using it in that sense, and there is much more involved in it. They're worried about physical, earthly things. We're not, because I understand Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, and neither are my blessings. Right? I don't need an earthly kingdom. I don't need physical land. I don't need physical blessings. What I seek and desire is to be part of this spiritual kingdom where I live faithful, and I earn that spiritual inheritance that I've been promised. It's all based on spiritual things, none of it. None of it's based on earthly things. Guys, if the building blows down, we meet in the yard. If we lose our property and it's taken by the government because Christianity is outlawed, we secretly meet at my house, right? Our kingdom can pick up. 
We, the spiritual kingdom, we can pick up and move on a dime. That's why they can't... You guys have heard they're killing Christians over in Afghanistan? You guys been hearing that? They're just hunting them down and killing them. Well, they were meeting in secret, but guess what? When they started hunting them down and killing them, guess what I heard? I heard they were all running for their life. You can't pick up a physical kingdom. You can't pick up a, a, a physical kingdom and hide it. A spiritual kingdom, you can. That's why Christians in the first century, when they were being persecuted, were meeting in secret. It was a kingdom that nobody could see. Jesus' kingdom was never of this world. And Jesus, He's not slack concerning His promises. Jesus said He was coming back. I'm not denying any of that. What I'm saying is if somebody started teaching some really funky stuff that's not found in our Bible, listen to 2 Peter 3, verses 9 through 12. And as I read this, you start to think about the earthly, earthly promises made in premillennialism, right? We're going to come back. He's going to set up this earthly kingdom, earthly promises, land promises. Listen to what Peter says. 2 Peter 3, starting in verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. We're talking about Jesus coming back, okay? But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What's he saying? He's basically he's giving us time. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Remember I told you we would touch on that phrase. That is a biblical phrase. Jesus is going to come back as a thief in the night. Does a thief knock on the door when he's breaking into your house? No. You're not going to know when Jesus is coming back. In the which, notice this, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements, check this out, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Guys, when Jesus comes back, there's only one return of Jesus. You do not find multiple returns of Jesus. When Jesus comes back, that is the end. Okay, It is all going to be burned up, and Peter is teaching us that here. Seeing then... Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what's he saying? It's all going to be gone. Every bit of this is going to be gone. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation? That means your manner of life and godliness. He's saying, think about this. This is all going to be gone. The only blessings that you're going to have are the spiritual blessings that have been promised. He goes on, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God. Remember, they teach that Jesus comes back multiple times. Jesus is coming back. But that is one, it's one day. That's the coming day of God when Jesus will come back. And he says, Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Guys, when the Lord returns, that's called the day of the Lord or the day of God. We're talking about a day in which something magnificent and glorious for us something that is horrible and beyond even contemplation for those who are living in sin, that is going to take place. He says the heavens, there's three different ways that that word heavens can be described, but that he's talking about the skies here. The heavens or the skies and the elements or the world, it is all going to be burned up on the day that Jesus comes back. That one time when Jesus comes back, that is it. And it is all going to be gone. There is no place to set up a physical kingdom. Now, I don't have time to offshoot into this, but remember I told you recently people have started teaching. I'm even finding people within the churches of Christ teaching this, that we're going to live on paradise on earth, or a renewed heaven and earth. Where? Where? It's all going to be burned up. Luckily, most of those people are getting called out. And they're not the first ones to teach this. There are the Jehovah's Witnesses and others teach this. That's always been called heresy in the past. Guys, it is taking off like wildfire right now. It's being taught in community churches. It's being taught in denominational groups. 
I'm even finding some of our brethren who are teaching the same stuff. Same as when premillennialism got taught, it came in and destroyed churches. Literally was even destroying churches of Christ. And what did they do? when they, Guys, I don't have time. I wish I could touch on the history. When this came out in the 1830s and this started destroying churches, the churches of Christ had ministers going everywhere preaching lessons like I'm preaching right now and hammering this into the ground saying, guys, this is what Darby came up with here is all false doctrine. None of this is found anywhere in your Bibles. They were teaching for weeks at a time at one congregation, destroying this. Remember I told you I can't cover it all. I'm going to cover 1%, which is more than enough. Not even that much. They, would, they were preaching for weeks at a time to cover this, to save congregations. And it's, it's still destroying congregations. Jesus promised that there was going to be one resurrection, not multiple resurrections as taught by the premillennialists, whether you're a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. There was just going to be the one. Listen to what Jesus says in John 5, 28 and 29. John, thank you for the water. Jesus says this, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming. Remember the day, the day of the Lord, uh, the coming of the day of God? There is going to be that point at which He comes. And here He says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, not hours or multiple returns, in which all... Let me say that again. Is that what premillennial teaches? All people are going to be resurrected? No, they teach Jesus is coming back for the faithful and He's leaving everybody else. That's not what Jesus says. In which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and shall come forth. Who? They that have done good unto the resurrection of life. Those are the ones that are going to be in heaven. And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Jesus says, when I come back, everybody in the grave is going to hear my voice. Those that are going to heaven and those that are not. Those that have done good, those that have not done good. Is that what the premillennialist teaches? No. They teach Jesus is coming back. He's going to gather His faithful. He's going to take them. Then He's going to come back. He's going to set up a kingdom after the tribulation and the battle. And then there's going to be another judgment that takes place and there's multiple returns. That's not what Jesus says. I'm coming back one time. That's the second coming. And when I come back, everybody is going to know. I'm going to look at another passage which reinforces this. But he says they're all going to know about it whether they've done good or whether they've done evil. There is one general resurrection. Remember me saying prior to 1830, there was no church anywhere that taught this doctrine. They all taught varying degrees of Jesus is coming back one time and there's a general resurrection. And that is what every group taught prior to 1830. And that is what Jesus teaches right here in John 5, 28 and 29. Right? Revelation 21 through 3. That is the sugar stick passage. That's the favorite go-to go passage of the premillennialists. That's the basic for all of their teaching. Their entire doctrine is based, for the most part, on Revelation. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. Uh, guys, I'm almost done. i got five minutes. So I told you I'd go five minutes long. I'm right on target. Okay, maybe ten minutes, but no longer than that. This is their passage. This is their passage. Follow along with me. This is where they come up with almost all their doctrine. Revelation 20, starting in verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid, he laid hold on that, on that dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan. And he bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should, that he should must be loosed, or sorry, that he should, know, he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, 
and after that he must be loosed a little season. Now it's interesting when you talk to the premillennialists, they come here and they say, this is, this is verbatim literally going to happen. Okay? They use this passage to create the entirety of their doctrine. They're not the only ones. When you study with the Jehovah's Witnesses, they go over and they teach much of their doctrine out of the, Revelation, out of the book of Revelation. They say that's 100% literal. And I'm going to point something out here in a minute, but I've called them on it a few times and, and they don't like when you do it. Guys, let me tell you what this passage does not say. Okay? This passage doesn't say anything about Jesus Christ. The passage does not say anything about Christ coming back to earth. It doesn't say anything about Jesus ruling in Jerusalem. It doesn't say anything about Jesus building an earthly kingdom. It doesn't say anything about a second coming at all. It doesn't say anything about a thousand-year reign of Christ sitting on a literal throne of David in Jerusalem. It doesn't say anything about a bodily, resurrec a bodily resurrection. This 1,000-year reign is mentioned in the book of Revelation, which is an apocalyptic book, which is utilizing signs given in a vision to John in order to give a message. Apocalyptic language. Guys, have you ever gone back and read Daniel? Let's go over to Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm going to show you that's what's going on here. Right? John, imagine this. John is sitting in front of what we would call basically an HDTV. He is getting, he is getting this vision given directly to him. Revelation 1.1, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, who? John, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and he signified it. I pronounce that signified it. He signified it by his angel, that word means messenger there, unto his servant John. John was receiving a vision and he recorded it, and it's got apocalyptic language, right? John is simply relaying the vision that he is getting using signs. And guys, not all, Revelation is not all literal. There are a couple of things in there that they try to describe the beauty of heaven and so forth. But guys, if, if the entirety of the book of Revelation is literal, let me explain something to you. At least for all the women here, you might be mad. No women are going to heaven. None. If the book of Revelation is all 100% literal, no women are going to heaven. Matter of fact, not only that, only male virgins are going. So anybody here who's married or... Uh, ever had relations with a female, you can't go to heaven either if the book of Revelation is completely literal. Listen to Revelation 14.4. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And when I was studying with Jehovah's Witnesses and they were talking about the 144,000, they said, that, that number's a literal number, and I tried to explain to them. There is typology going on here. There's signs. You've got 12 times 12. You've got the spiritual numbers being used. All that's taking place in, apoco in apocalyptic language. And I said, that is not a literal number. And they said, this is a literal number. And I said, well, then, I said, are you married? Yeah. I said, then you're not going to heaven. Can't. Well, I'm assuming you've had relations with your spouse. But you, if you're not a virgin, you're not going to heaven. And women aren't going at all. And they said, that's not literal. I said, I agree with you. I agree with you. And neither is the 144,000, and neither is this thousand-year reign that he is talking about. This is apocalyptic language. They say, well, no, that part, that part is literal. Guys, they switch context right in the middle of everything. Guys, the better priesthood and kingship of Christ is currently seen as a spiritual kingdom of the church today. That final judgment is going to come when Jesus returns. Listen to 2 Timothy 4.1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick, that's the living, that's when you're, when you're alive, you're quick, 
When you're dead, you don't move very quick at all, right? So that's what he's saying here. He's going to judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. That's the heavenly kingdom being ushered in, right? We move from one spiritual kingdom to another. We're here on the earth, but we're in a spiritual kingdom, and we're going to be ushered when he returns from this spiritual kingdom into that spiritual kingdom. At no point was any of this about being physical, okay? But he says, at his appearing one time. And that's what everybody taught prior to 1830. That's what everybody taught. One return, one appearing, one judgment. And that's what Paul writes by inspiration. Okay, now let's do one more passage and I'm done. I think I only went five minutes longer than normal. Follow along with me in 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, so I, was st uh, I would go to the uh, nursing home when I was in, uh, or assisted living home, when I was in, in school. And there was a lady I studied with all the time. And, uh, and, I and I was making a lot of progress with her. And every time I would leave, her Baptist minister would come over and he would destroy anything that I had gained. And she was talking about uh, the multiple returns and premillennial kingdom coming in. And I said, can I read a passage with you? And I went to this passage, and after I got done reading it, she said, I've been lied to. And I said, yeah, you have, but you're not the only one. Uh, and she got it. Follow along with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. She's like, but I was watching Hagee on TV and my Baptist minister. I said, let me just read the passage. Let me just read the passage. They've been lying to you. And I said, they may not even know they're doing it, but they are. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 14. Guys, I got lied to. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, we're talking about the faithful who died in Christ, will God bring with Him. What's He saying? He's not going to forget those faithful Christians that died. He's going to bring them with Him. Don't worry about them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, that means precede, them which are asleep, those that have died. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Paul speaks of the dead and the alive here. Guys, we're going to meet we're going to meet our Lord and Savior in the air. I want you let me point something else out. His feet never touch this ground. You never read that anywhere within the scriptures. Jesus is coming back and we're going to meet him in the air and there's going to be that immediate change from the physical body to the spiritual body, but guys, it's not about a physical world. And and for anyone here who's ever been taught like me, mistaught these things, it takes a lot of time to sit down and to study this. I didn't, I didn't come to this in five minutes. I, didn't, I came to this over lots and lots of study, and then luckily I had good instructors that sat me down, uh, and they gave me a lot of this information, but that, that was all me doing all that. And that took a lot of time, guys. I had been taught a lot of things that just were not true. Jesus is coming back. All are going to be raised. All will be judged, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This teaching of the final judgment and the resurrection that we find here in the Scriptures, which is what was taught by everyone prior to 1830, one return, one judgment, that is nothing like what we find being promoted around us by the world regarding the rapture, the seven-year tribulation, the battle between Jesus and Satan, the setting up of the kingdom, and the multiple returns. I know I summarized a lot of information in there, you're probably not going to find a lot of people that will break it down like that. 
I hope I did a good job. As I said again, there's a second, a second sheet back on the chair by the door where I literally list the top 10 reasons and it's very easy. I have sent that to numbers. I've, I've, I've given it to people where I work. I have given that paper to a number of people, but it breaks it down and gives you all the passages. Just look them up. Guys, I don't, I don't expect you to trust me and believe me. Verify every single thing I've told you. And the paper back there has it all on it in addition to this. Make sure I'm telling you what's correct. I believe 100% that I have. As I draw this to a close, my concern is if you're here, are you part of the church, which is the body, which is the kingdom? That's my concern. Not complicated, as we've already covered in this lesson, the way you are added to the church, which is the body, which is the kingdom, is to simply obey the gospel. Just as Peter was preaching there on the day of Pentecost, they heard the, the gospel. They believed Jesus was the Messiah. They knew He was coming to build His church, His body. They were told about the consequence of sin. They were willing to confess Christ and then be immersed in water. That's how simple it is. Then we learn in Acts 2, verse 47, that as they did that, they were added to the church. And as we've shown from the other verses, the church is the body, which is this spiritual kingdom. If you've not done that, I'm greatly concerned. You cannot be considered a faithful follower of God unless you've been added to the body, which is the church, which is the kingdom. If you're here and you've not done that, let me study with you or let somebody. If you are here and you're a Christian, ask yourself, go back. How have you done this week? Are there areas you're struggling with? Uh, do you need the prayers of the congregation? Have you fallen short? If you have, repent of it, turn from it, and again, be faithful. And if there's a way that we can assist you in any way, you can come forward as we are led in a song of invitation.